Hey, thanks for listening to the Junior Ziggler podcast. If you're crazy enough to want more of his content, check out the link in the description of this podcast. That link can get you to his book, his socials, and another podcast. Thanks for hitting play. Here's Junior. You have any wrath at all? It's such an extreme word, isn't it, wrath? It's so extreme that we almost feel like this disconnect from it. Like wrath, I mean, I might, listen, I might get angry from time to time, but wrath, I mean, come on, no. Like, wrath is road rage, isn't it? Wrath is fighting. Wrath is setting fire to something. Wrath is throwing stuff. Wrath is abuse. Like, I might text in all caps, you know, sometimes. Or I might get some keyboard courage and really cut up in a good email. Or I might sound intense sometimes. I might get involved in some sort of Facebook drama. I might be able to channel my inner Karen sometimes. But wrath, it's like a whole other category, isn't it? You know, it's funny. Have you ever noticed that when we want to excuse ourselves from something, we begin to play this game of semantics? I can always tell when I want to excuse myself because I start changing words. We start redefining words to kind of give us an out or make us feel better. We do it all the time. I wasn't drunk. I was you know, tipsy. I didn't raise my voice. I, I was just excitable. I, that wasn't a lie. I was just like a, a little fib. Or one of my favorites, I've never gotten this. I wasn't mean. I just have a big personality. I was like, what do you mean? Like, as opposed to what? A small personality? Like, what does that even mean? We're just trying to change words here so that you don't sound like a jerk. Politicians, they do this all the time with their scandals. I didn't have sexual relations with them. It was just a mistake. It's like, what do you mean? Like, you didn't trip into them. when, When we want to excuse ourselves, all of a sudden we channel our inner thesaurus and we start finding words to help us look better or feel better. The reality is, is wrath is anger. Like in Scripture, wrath and anger are used interchangeably, though when you actually look at the the original wording, wrath is usually reserved for when things are done out of anger. And so maybe just let me ask it this way. Have you ever done something out of anger? I have. Like, what? You're a pastor. Well, maybe not for long after I tell you the story. A while back, all back our fridge in our house is acting up, and it's a fairly new fridge. It would just burn out. And so we'd wake up in the morning, you know, get ready to make breakfast, and we'd find that the fridge is warm. Like, all the food is bad. So we had to throw out all the food, like hundreds of dollars of food, into the garbage. It like, drives me nuts. Luckily, it's under warranty, though. So we'd, you know, we'd call to get it serviced, wait on hold forever, and then we'd get it fixed. But then it would just stop again. This happened eight times. No joke. Eight times. Eight times of discovering the fridge is warm. Eight times of throwing out the food. Eight times of spending hundreds to refill it. Eight times of sitting on hold, listening to that stupid music, waiting for a repairman to come. The eighth time, I, I'm ashamed. The eighth time I discovered the fridge was warm, I put my fist into the stainless steel door. There are three little dents right on the face of my fridge from three of my knuckles. It was stupid, it was embarrassing, and I can't hide it. It is like right there, right out in the middle of the open. Someone a little while back, someone came into my, my kitchen just like visiting, and they're like, dang, someone got this fridge good. And I was like, I was like really quiet, you know? But they wouldn't let it go. They're like, and there's like three little dents that make up a larger dent. Interesting. I'm like, okay, Sherlock, why don't you go sit in my family room? We'll just talk in there, all right? Like every time I walk into the kitchen, that, that stupid dent stares at me, reminding me of when my frustration, anger, okay, fine, wrath, got the best of me. And knowing God's sense of humor with me, that fridge is now going to last for like years to come, I swear. I hate, I hate that dent, but it does make me wonder how many dents you have. 
And I think, okay, Junior, I'm not an idiot. I don't like put my fist into a fridge. It's like, okay, touche. But I do wonder how many of our relationships are dented. Some of us have serious dented relationships and we're pretty ignorant to it. Some of us have some serious dented reputations because we said something, we harbored something, we held on to anger, just started giving the cold shoulder, kind of pouting about it. Like, I wonder how many of us are far more driven by bitterness in our hearts than we think. Navigating marriage with just bitterness, nitpicking out of bitterness. How many parents parent out of bitterness, out of anger? One of the top, uh, a couple of years ago, one of the top things high schoolers said about their parents, a bunch of high schoolers were, were interviewed, and when they said, what's the one thing you could change about your parents? The top answer was, I just wish they weren't so angry. How many of us view our company just out of anger? How many of us view our church out of yeah, bitterness? Something happened. How many of us view our state? And I know it's easy in Illinois, but how many of us view our state out of anger? How many of us interact with our in-laws out of resentment? But we haven't had the clarity to really see the damage that we have in our life when it comes to this, this bitterness that we're holding on to and this temper that we have. See, we got to go here. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Ephesians chapter 4. I really encourage you to grab a Bible. This might be like you're, you're newer to church. Like, I haven't really cracked open a Bible like ever. It's a great, great place to start. It's page 978 and the Bible's in the chairs. Otherwise, I know a lot of people use their phones and, and their tablets. But Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be. I'm going to pray, and then we'll just jump, jump right into this. Father, thank you so much for your word. We come before you humbly, ready to receive what you have for us. Now you will speak, and you will also convict. I pray that we don't fight it off. Father, we ask your Holy Spirit to illuminate this text to us, but to also not stop there, to do what you do, and that is bring situations and faces to mind. And may we not spend these next few moments fighting all that off, but may we be completely humble and open to what you have for us right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we enter into... Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to imagine a morning horizon glow spilling into a limestone block home, slowly awakening a family from a deep sleep. This is a tired family. See, being a Christian in the first century put a target on your home and on your business and on your head. There's pressure on the husband more than ever. The finances are tight. Work is hard to find. The business is struggling. His wife's anxiety over finances really wears on him. The pressure and the stress have not done him any favors when it comes to his fuse. The family dynamics in the home, they're struggling. There's lots of snapping at each other, walking on eggshells. There's, there's just this annoyance that hangs in the air. Any sort of laughter is always at somebody's expense, or it's just laughter that's short-lived. It's gotten to the point where the family is uncomfortable with affection. Because they feel more comfortable in the world of sarcasm. Encouragement is, is very awkward for them. Little issues are handled as big issues, lots of drama. Cold shoulders have become the norm. And nobody can put their finger on it in the home, but the truth is, home is not a place that anyone really wants to be. And as soon as the kids are old enough to get out of home, they're just not going to want to come back. Oh, there's no wrathful, colossal blow-ups. It's just a culture of negativity, nitpicking, sarcasm, little conflicts, passive aggression, just this coldness. This morning they wake up in an awkward quietness, quietness that they've come to know as normal. And trying to stay out of each other's way, they get dressed, they scarf down a meal, and, and they get ready for church, and they walk to church, trying to put on their smiles that everybody puts on when they walk into church. And as they walk into church, their pastor reads a letter from Paul, and 
the pastor reads these words, be angry. Now, this is a difficult translation because this is not, this isn't a command. Okay, so Paul's not telling you to be angry like your favorite news outlet tells you to be angry. A better translation of this is in your anger, meaning there will be times when you get angry. Anger is an emotion. You're going to feel it. Like sometimes I hear overly spiritual or high and mighty Christians will say things like, well, I never get angry. Anger is a sin. And I, I look at them and I think, well, it makes me angry that you don't get angry. <laughs> now, it doesn't really, but like, come on, like human trafficking doesn't anger you? Like, you're telling me that right now in Africa, in the Middle East, even here in the U.S., girls are being sold to old perverts. Girls are being raped. That doesn't anger you? Like, children are being forced into labor as slaves today. That doesn't anger you? Like, it should. Anger is an emotion, and sometimes it's a necessary emotion. Periodic, bridled, well-aimed anger is, is sometimes necessary in parenting. I needed to see my dad get angry sometimes. It put the fear of God in me. Uh, the other day, my youngest daughter plugged her ears when my wife was talking to her, and my youngest daughter saw daddy get pretty angry. Like She needed to see that. Hey, she was my wife before she was your mom. You don't disrespect my wife. Jesus felt anger. He flipped the tables in the temple. Now, it was bridled and it was aimed anger, but it was still anger. And so I, I want to be careful when it comes to this discussion not to create some sort of like unachievable standard when we talk about this, because some churches will do that. Hey, anger is a sin. It's like, no, come on. We're not Buddhists believing that anger is evil. It's, it's, it's an emotion. It's an emotion that we're going to feel. We're going to feel it. We're created in the image of God, and Scripture says God himself gets angry. See, the Bible assumes here there's going to be times when you get angry. It says, in your anger, and then it doesn't continue on telling us how to deny the emotion, because some anger isn't sinful. Now, the majority, I would say the vast majority of our anger is sinful. The vast majority of our anger is not justified. Like, just for a second, think about the things that made you angry this past week, or maybe this past month. Maybe you're like, ah, Junior, I didn't get angry. I'm a sweetheart. Oh, come on. Like, <clears throat> nobody cuts you off in traffic. Nobody, uh, your boss didn't jump to a conclusion about you. You didn't stub your toe on that dumb chair you always stub your toe on. Your report did everything you, exactly how you wanted them to. Your kids didn't make a mess. You weren't frustrated at all this week. Like, what kind of drugs are you on? Of course you were. And typically when we get angry, it's because something was taken from us. Or we didn't get what we wanted. So for example, a, a candidate, our favorite candidate lost. The fridge stopped working. Your kid annoyed you. Dang it, another train, displays. Or maybe you're in that like construction, you got that lane closure and you have that jerk that always drives right up to the closure and then pops right back in in front of everybody. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, they, they usually drive a BMW. Or, <laughs> you know it's right. Or the person who's always camped out in the left lane going five under the speed limit. Infuriating, right? It's usually a Prius. This is, <laughs> this is what we tend to get angry about. And it's not justifiable anger. Like, just think for a second about the things that Jesus got angry about. We're supposed to emulate Jesus, so what did Jesus get angry about? Well, he had hecklers everywhere he went. He had haters everywhere he went. He had guards spit in his face. He had false accusations, which is infuriating. He was, he was deserted by his closest friends in his greatest time of need. Yet in those situations, when you read throughout Scripture, you, you don't see him get angry. You see Jesus get angry when other people are being mistreated not himself, standing up for other people. The vast majority of anger isn't justified. But still, anger isn't a sin. It's an emotion. We're going to feel it. It's what we do with it. 
which is why Paul writes, be angry and do not sin. It's so weird for me that we use anger as like this excuse for our sin. It's almost like we believe that if I, if I did that out of anger, that sin was like less sinful. You ever notice that? Hey, I'm sorry I said that. I'm sorry I raised my voice. I was just angry. Okay, like that doesn't work for anything else. Imagine, imagine someone saying, hey, sorry I cheated on you. I was just horny. That doesn't, uh, that makes no difference. Hey, sorry I crashed your car. I was just wasted. That doesn't make it any better. But for some reason, we do this with anger. And Paul is eliminating this excuse for Christians. Like Paul would say to me, Junior, you put your fist into the fridge. I don't care what you felt. That was stupid. And me saying, well, come on, I was just angry. Well, it doesn't make the dent any less deep on my fridge. But it's the same is true with you. You raised your voice. It doesn't matter what you felt. You dented the culture of your home. And being angry doesn't make the dent any less deep. It's still there. Stop using our anger as a buffer for sin. It will only enable us to keep repeating that same sin. And this is where Paul starts this whole conversation. But the next phrase really hits you between the eyes. This might be a verse that, that needs to be like on the background of your phone. This might need to be a verse or phrase that is hung above your bed. It's not a feel-good verse, but the power in this next phrase has the potential to change your culture in your home and the culture of your office overnight. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, come on, that's a good verse for your nightstand, isn't it? It was just like a little sticky note right on your alarm clock. Not going to let the sun go down on my anger. You know how annoying of a husband I am? I know you can only imagine. It's a miracle I found a wife in many ways. Look at me. But this is, this is how annoying I am. I take this verse so literally that I've kept Nicole from going to bed in order to finish an argument. Like, you can't roll over, babe. We got we to gotta finish this conversation. Not that we ever fight. I'm just saying, like, if we ever fought, of course. Now, technically, you could make the case. You could look at this and be like, all right, you know, Paul's not being literal here. I, and I get that. Like, yeah, what happens if you get angry after, after sunset? It's still a good principle, though, to take this as literal as possible. The point that Paul is making is don't hold on to your anger. It will wrap around your heart. And for the, the truth is, for many of us in here, this right here is our greatest problem. You keep letting the sun go down on your anger. And it's become almost part of who you are. It's now part of your leadership style. It's now part of your marriage. It's now part of your parenting. It's now part of your home. You now have that rep. You might have some friends, but you now have that reputation. They just have a temper. So just, yeah, they're just cold. They're just always going to be critical and find something because they're an angry person. Because something happened and you never had the necessary conversation about it and you held on to it and so now you view your company through that lens or you lost a friendship over it or now you're just more easily annoyed by your spouse because that you go back, it goes back to that thing or you view the church differently because the sun went down and you took your anger to bed and that anger became bitterness and it shortened your fuse and now you're easily annoyed. It's almost like it's become part of you. It's like a parasite. I'm learning a lot about these after drinking forbidden water in Africa. Parasites are crazy. They're crazy. It's worth a try if you ever get a chance. These, <laughs> these little guys live in, in dirty water or contaminated food, and once they're in your body, they attach themselves to you, and they become almost like part of you. 
Get this. If you don't deal with a parasite, they can live in you for over 30 years. Some people will live with them their whole lives. They just get used to the symptoms. It becomes normal to carry on. It's almost like they're a little pet that they have in them. Now, at first, it's kind of nice. It's like, yeah, you lose some weight. And you're like, oh, not so bad. But then it destroys you. It doesn't just mess with your stomach. They hurt your liver. They impact your blood, and they can affect your brain. This little guy becomes part of you and throws off your whole body chemistry. This is exactly what anger does to you. When you don't deal with it, the sun goes down, and it attaches itself to you, and it affects your spirit, and you become critical as payback for whoever. It destroys how we interact with God because it destroys how we relate with others and how we lead. And we become someone we never wanted to be. Just that short-fused, cold, joyless shell of the person that God created you to be with every excuse in the book for why you're that way. And each day the sun goes down, the symptoms of that anger become more and more normal to you. This is just who I am. So wouldn't it make sense why Paul would say, don't you dare let that sun set. Deal with it right away. Every beautiful sunset that we enjoy should be this daily reminder, I've got to deal with stuff before I hit the bed. You might need a short moment to calm down and process, a very short moment, but stop carrying the anger. Stop avoiding the conversation. Stop punishing them with a cold shoulder. I can almost guarantee you they don't care anyways. Stop waiting for them to apologize. Do what it takes each day to end the day in a healthy spirit. For your head to hit the pillow and say, I got nothing against anybody right now. That's how we were meant to live. But when we refuse to do that, we step away from Jesus because that's not who Jesus was. It's not who Jesus is. And here's the point that Paul is getting at. You want to loosen anger's grip in your life? Keep short accounts. Keep short accounts. We walk throughout our days with accounts against us. People talk to us in ways they shouldn't talk to us. People disrespect us. People say things about us. People hurt us. And all of a sudden, we have these open accounts as we're walking throughout the day. Keep them short. Either decide this needs a conversation and I have to have this conversation or I'm just going to let it go. But I'm not going to lie to myself and say I'm going to let it go and not talk about it. Either I'm going to go into the boss's office and kindly communicate what's bothering me or I'm letting it go. But I'm not holding on to it and keeping this open for days, weeks, years and become cold over it. The Apostle Peter wrote something that I've been, he wrote something so profound and I've been meditating on it um, quite a bit lately and just what it means in detail. The apostle Peter wrote, he wrote, love covers a multitude of sins. That as we love people, sometimes that love looks like going, all right, that's not a big deal. That wasn't cool. But like love can cover that. I'm moving on. I'm not even gonna think about it anymore. It's, it's not gonna affect how I view them at all. I'm not gonna talk about it. I'm not gonna bring it up. I'm not gonna hold it against them. It's, it's done. It's in the past. Nicole and I have to do that for each other. Like, you, you might not believe this, but there are things that I do that annoy her. A lot of things that I do that annoy her. But her love for me covers a lot of those sins. And she does things. No, I'm not going to go there. Just kidding. She has friends in the service, and I know you guys are snitches. To, <laughs> to really love people, we have to have this space where we go, that doesn't need a conversation. You, guys, you might know somebody who just, they, it's like they have to have a conversation about every little thing. And after a while, it's like, this is just so annoying. Can you just stop having all these conversations? There has to be this space where we just go, okay, that annoyed me, that bothered me, but it was pretty harmless. I'm just going to give them the benefit of the doubt and love them. It's gone. Keeping short accounts might look like that sometimes. Hey, love can cover that. 
But don't be guilty of using it as an excuse to be a coward and avoid a necessary conversation. Too many people will make the excuse, eh, love can cover that, and then later on it's still living rent-free in their head. That's not loving. A lot of times your anger means, hey, I have to go have a healthy, kind, and clear conversation. To not is to not love. But either way, keep short accounts. Stop stewing in it. Moving on quickly is an art form. And moving on quickly is an art form that every believer should know. I was talking to my girls about this the other night. My kids, I love them. Being a dad is just like the best job in the world. I, I, it's far better than being a pastor. I'm sorry, I love being a pastor too, but being a dad is just, it's the best. But my kids can be pretty annoying sometimes. I doubt your kids do this, but mine argue. And, and sometimes I feel like my second job after I leave the office is like I gotta put on a referee shirt and go you know, talk to them. And it drives me nuts. And so the other day we were driving, I was driving they were in the back of the truck and they were arguing about something that happened like last week. And so finally I interrupted them. I was like, ladies, too much drama, okay? And of course they're like, yeah, no, we hate drama. We hate drama. We're not dramatic. I was like, babes, proof's in the pudding. You're arguing about who wore whose shoes last week. You guys hold on to stuff and you don't move on. That's drama. And my youngest speaks up. She goes, dad, I move on quickly. If I make someone mad, I can just move on. I was like, yeah, that's the exact opposite of what I'm talking about, baby. It's like, no, you move on when somebody makes you mad. And sometimes that looks like having a conversation. Like, hey, what you said is not sitting well with me. And sometimes it looks like just saying, all right, love covers that. We're moving on. But don't be guilty of overestimating your ability to love and move on. Hey, I'll just move on. Love covers it. And then it doesn't. Don't be guilty of that. Keep short accounts. Kill the parasite as soon as you get it. Continues on, give no opportunity for the devil. What a massive, massive, massive statement in Scripture. Anger, your anger is this wide open door for Satan. The enemy looks for angry, bitter Christians. The enemy looks for angry, bitter Christians. I think of it like, you ever watch Animal Planet? Or uh, there's like some new Planet Earth ones on Netflix. Good stuff. I, we watch it all the time in, in our house. I was watching one the other day with, with my wife and kids, and it was this awesome scene where these lions were ambushing a wildebeest crossing. And I love these scenes because I just love lions. I think they're the coolest. My wife and kids, they always cheer for the wildebeest to get away. Not me. I, lions got to eat too. That and like wildebeest, you ever notice this? Wildebeest are just ugly. You ever notice that? It's almost like God had some leftover parts after creation. It was just like, eh, I'll just whip this up. Like Adam will get a kick out of this. You'd think I'd feel a connection with him. Some of you just got that. Anyways, I'm watching this scene of, of these lions ambushing a wildebeest. And the wildebeest, they all see the lions, so they take off running. But there was one dumb wildebeest who had gotten caught in his bush. And it was like dragging his bush while it was trying to run away. And it fell behind. And the lions just like picked out that wildebeest. Like the lions didn't even have to run. They just like waltzed over and dinner time. It was awesome. Because the stupid wildebeest is trying to carry a bush with it while it's keeping up with the rest of the herd. So I'm cheering, you know, my girls are screaming. It was fantastic. And then after the scene, I thought, man, there's so many Christians. How many Christians are that way? We're trying to keep up with the herd. We go to church, we go to small group, give, serve, worship. But as we do, we just carry this bush around. This bush of bitterness towards someone. Just maybe even this like little anger. And over time, we fall behind from the rest of the community because anger poisons us and we feel more and more and more and more disconnected from community because we're bothered by them. Our enemy is smart. 
That's the person they're going to pick out. That's the person they're going for. That's why I tell people all the time when I do some premarital counseling, Nicole and I do with, with couples, and I'll tell couples to say, hey, if they're bitter, if she's just like always offended and bothered by something, just has that pattern in her life, or if he has that pattern of losing his temper, run away from him. Be like, what? We're so in love. Like, you get over it. Because if you're gonna if you're gonna get married, you marry that bitter anger, and it will not just hurt you; it'll hurt your kids. And you'll never have great community because her offend, being offended so easily is just gonna tear you apart from the community, or his temper is just gonna pull you away from the community, and you're going to fall behind. And the enemy's gonna go. That's the family to go for. Your anger's an open door. This is why Paul is saying every sunset, shut the door, go apologize. Or go tell them what's bothering you, but close that account. Close it quickly. It continues on. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Bitterness. I love this. He just like uses a bunch of words because Paul's like, I know you guys are going to get your thesaurus out here, so I'm just going to hit all of it. He says bitterness. Some of us carried bitterness in here today. Something happened. And maybe it wasn't right. Maybe you had every reason to get hurt. A friend hurts you or the business partner stabbed you in the back or that happened in your relationship and it hurts you. The fact of the matter is, is now you're dragging this bush along and you have that parasite of bitterness. Ah, you haven't lost your temper. You haven't outright said anything, but this issue lives in your head rent-free and you're beginning to see life, relationships, community, everything through that lens. This is wrath. You raise your voice, you lose your temper, and you call it excitable, you blame it on your culture, your upbringing, but it doesn't, it doesn't change the fact that you dent so much with it. You never try to intimidate, but that's the reality of the situation. Or clamor and slander. You get hurt and, and you spread it. You get your side of the story out there and you gain support and you get sympathy. We call it venting, but it's sin. And scripture calls it one of the worst kind of sins. Because what happens is I want to share my story. And if you can validate my anger, now I feel this, this short relief of my hurt. The problem is, is now that parasite in me, that anger has now spread. Now this isn't an issue between me and my spouse or me and my coworker. Now we've brought more to the fight in the name of venting and support. It's very toxic and that fractures community. This isn't get rid of it with all, along with all malice. The original word for malice here is, is the Greek word for perverting. It's a perverted narrative. And we never mean to pervert the narrative. But here's what happens, and I'm guilty of this. We get hurt. Boss tells me something I don't like, or a friend does this, you know, and it hurt me. And we share our side of the story, and we share only the details we feel. Well, this is kind of how that made me feel, and they said it this way, and, and we leave out the other details that don't help us feel better, that give the full picture. That's perverting a narrative and giving it to them. It's like my, my youngest, the one who moves on quickly when she makes somebody angry, the other night, I was in, in the kitchen. We were, I was making dinner, and she comes downstairs, like almost in tears, and she's like, "Dad, Nora told me that to go away." I'm like, "Ah, all right. Well, bring your sister down. You know, she can't talk that way." So Nora comes down the stairs, like, "Nora, come on, what are you doing? Like, you know, you can't say that. That's just mean." And Nora's like, "Yeah, but Dad, I was trying to do my homework, and she tackled me." I'm like, oh, "Okay, so there's the full picture. There's the full picture." But this is what we do as adults. 
I don't like what you just said or did, so I'm going to share this part of the story. I'm going to leave out the other details that give the full dimension to the story, and I'm going to give people a perverted narrative. So now the people that I give the perverted narrative to, now they're angry at my boss. They have no reason to be angry at my boss, but now they, they're angry. Or now they hate my spouse. They have no reason to hate my spouse, but they hate my spouse because I gave them a perverted narrative. They don't like your ex-friend because of the perverted narrative that you, that you told. That's, that's malice. And the problem with us as Christians, again, I'm guilty of this, is we can look at a verse like this and we can start to grade all of this. Be like, okay, well, some of these are better than the others. So those of us who blow up wrath are like, you know what, at least I don't hold on to bitterness and live my life with that bush. You know, I just blow up and I'm done. No, it's not because you leave a bunch of damage and dents. But those of us who are bitter, we go, well, I don't dent everything with my anger. I just kind of hold on to it and drag it everywhere I go. None of this is better than the other. Paul says it all, it's all trash that needs to be taken to the curb. And then Paul wraps it up with the treatment. It's a verse my parents made me memorize when I was a kid. And it might be a verse that needs to be hung in your kitchen or at your desk at work. This verse might be the background on your phone. It is so good. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This doesn't mean that this magically erases your pain doesn't mean that you don't confront and communicate a feeling, but it's done in kindness. We never have an excuse to be unkind. Something I repeat in my house all the time with my girls, never an excuse to be unkind. There's never an excuse to intimidate. I know you didn't mean to intimidate when you raised your voice, but you did. And you dented, and that's, there's not an excuse for it. There's never an excuse to give a cold shoulder. That's just unkind. Never an excuse. Instead, we stay tender-hearted. We find a way to keep a tender heart toward those that we're hurt by. And that's hard. It's hard for me. In fact, I, I used to see a Christian counselor over this very thing, just all the things that were living rent-free in my head, having these conversations with people. I, I bet I'm the only one who does this, right? And so I told my counselor about this, you know, what it does to my mental state and what to my heart. I don't like the person I'm becoming because I got all this stuff in my head and I can't kick him out of my head. You know, I, what do I do? And he's like, well, Junior, those people that live rent-free in your head, not the ones where they're a threat, but the ones that aren't a threat, go hang out with them. I was like, you're the worst counselor ever. I don't want to do that. That's not what I asked for. I asked, how do I kick these people out of my head? I don't want them there. I just want to forget about them. Move on. And he's like, yeah, but that's doing you no good, Junior. So go sit around a fire with them. Try to enjoy them. Because then after you enjoy them, you'll realize okay, they're not as bad as I made them out to be in my head. All these conversations I'm having. You'll notice like my anger is far greater than it should have been in the first place because I don't mind them as much as I did before the fire. And that'll soften your heart. It sucks, but he was right. And now you know, if I ever invite you over to a fire, it's because I'm pretty ticked off at you. No, of course not. One of the greatest callings in our walk with God is to keep our heart tender. As followers of Jesus, God says, I want you to go throughout your day almost obsessive about how can I keep this tender, especially toward people who have angered me. I still need to confront, and I still need to maybe give the other dimension to the story, and we need to talk, but a heart of tenderness and love for them. Find ways, little tricks to keep your heart tender. One trick that I, that I use when I get upset with somebody is I try to think, if someone was upset with my daughter, how would I want them to handle my daughter? 
because I need to do that. Like, well, I want them to communicate with her. I'd want them to not give her the cold shoulder. I don't want them to cut her up to other people and, and ruin other people's view of her. I don't want them to blow up on her and try to intimidate her. I'd want them to communicate with her and be direct, but also be very kind and loving. So that's what I need to do. It's just like this little trick to keep my own heart tender, to go into these tense situations with people thinking, I'm going to act the way I want other people to treat my daughter one day. It's just this tender heart. You can't have a tender heart and carry anger. It's impossible. You can't. The only way to keep your heart tender is close that door as quick as possible. And then the big one, he says, forgiving. Forgiving. It's the only way to release your anger. They can't do anything to make you better. And even if they could, they probably wouldn't. But if they could, do you really want to give them that much control in your life? Do you really want to give that person who you struggle with, do you want to give them control whether you live a bitter life or not? Of course not. See, according to Scripture, our only option is we got to close, cancel the debts. Keep short accounts and then just cancel the debts. The mark of a Christian is forgiveness. So much so that when the church fathers got together and they put the, the creeds and the doctrines together, the church father said, this is a major, major one. Our faith is seen in our forgiveness. Now, this does not mean that you just let them keep on hurting you. I, if somebody were to abuse my girls, I'm not going to have them come and like babysit. That just, that's just stupid. But I can cancel the debt and say, okay, this needs to happen but I'm not holding anything against you. In fact, I'm cheering you on and I love you, but I need to protect myself a little bit here. And that's not done out of anger. Forgiven people forgive. Followers of Jesus were once enemies of God. We had an open account before God that was overwhelming. We were destined for eternal flames of hell. And yet God put on flesh and came and died for our debt. And even after all of that, we still sin against him. Yet he still calls us his own. And he treats us with grace and mercy. How can you and I have the audacity to hold on to anger when he doesn't? How can we have the audacity to figure out a way to weaponize our emotion of anger, blow up, intimidate, gossip? How can we just sling the door open for the enemy when, when God has done what he's done for us? Like, have we forgotten what we've been forgiven of? Forgiven people forgive. And maybe the, the heaviest part of this whole conversation is Paul's last words. He says, as God in Christ forgave you. There is this almost scary tie between how we forgive others and how God forgives us. Jesus himself said that the measure in which you judge, you will be judged. In the famous Lord's Prayer, in the original Greek, what Jesus said was, forgive us our debts as or like we forgive those who have debts against us. Well, suddenly that's not a prayer I really want to pray. That God, please forgive me like I'm forgiving other people. Oh, I don't know if I want to pray that. The way you go about forgiving others is the way in which God goes about forgiving you. It's in Scripture over and over. And so our only option is just to hand the gavel to the judge. Just give him, give him, the, give him the gavel. If you're a Christian, you're on this planet as a servant, not as a judge. The problem is, is a lot of us like our gavels. We feel like we know quite a bit. And I feel like I can read what should have happened there, and so I'm going to make a judgment. 
I feel like the system got it wrong over here, so I'm going to make that judgment. The boss did that, and that's wrong, and I, I'm going to make that. The church did that, and that's wrong, so I'm going to make this. You're not a judge. We're a servant. We follow the one who came and could have judged. He could have righted every wrong against him, but he took the form of a servant, and he left the judging to the Father. Who are we to assume that position? We're either servants or we're judges. You can't be both. The only way to serve is to drop the gavel. And the reality is, is one day we will stand before the real judge. I love the, the comment a, a woman made to me a couple weeks ago. Her ex-husband was about to pass away, and so she called me and another pastor. She's like, hey, he doesn't go to your church, but could you just come and like, pray over him? He's leaving the hospital now. He's come home, and he's going to die in like 24 hours, so can you just pray over him? And so I walked into the room, and, and she was there, and the new wife was there. And then there's, of course, the guy in the middle who's dying. So it's like super kind of weird, right? I said to the ex-wife, I was like, so it's really interesting that you're here, the ex, and she's here, the one that he left you for, and there's peace. Like, you guys aren't fighting right now. Like, I expected to get the popcorn, you know? And, and she said to me, she said, yeah, well, when he left me, I was hurt, and I was angry. I just decided, though, I'd rather God judge him than me. Like, that's, you know, I thought it was a funny statement. I started laughing, but then I was like, no, wait, that's brilliant. That's beautiful. That's exactly what God asked us to do. Expect people are going to take stuff from you. Expect injustices to be done against you. In this world, you will have trouble. You're going to get hurt. People are going to take from you. People are going to cut you off. People are going to slander your name. People are going to take a narrative and pervert it so that people view you in the wrong light. People are going to steal your commission. And it's in those very painful moments where we feel this real emotion of anger. I got to defend myself here. And it's in those very real moments the enemy shows up to lead us down a path of destruction. And the reality is, many of us have been on that path of destruction. But it's also in those very real painful moments that we can experience God like never before if we can just hand him the gavel. I'm hurt, God. This is not just. This is not right. I'm going to speak up where I can. I'm going to kindly communicate. But at the end of the day, I'm closing the account before that sun sets. Because to hold on to this will only poison me in this life as well as impact how I'm judged in the next. Thanks again for listening. Again, for more content, just scroll down to the podcast description and follow the link. Before we call it, would you be kind enough to share this podcast? It goes a long way. Blessings on you today. See you next time.